0: What's up, folks? Welcome back to the Whoop Podcast, where we sit down with top athletes, scientists, experts, and more, learn what the best in the world are doing to perform at their peak. I'm your host, Will Ahmed, founder and CEO of Whoop, where we're on a mission to unlock human performance. we got a great guest, track cyclist Orla Walsh, but before we get to her, a reminder, you can get 15% off a Whoop membership if you use the code Will, that's W-I-L-L, the Whoop4.0 is shipping on demand around the world. That's a big deal for us because we've been in backlog for seven months since literally the day we launched the Whoop 4, and we are now coming completely out of backlog and shipping on demand. So check that out, whoop.com. All right, this episode, Orla Walsh. Orla is the Irish champion in the women's sprint and is the national record holder in the women's 500-meter time trial. Her journey to becoming a pro athlete was far from ordinary, though. She didn't begin cycling until her 20s when she started commuting into work on a secondhand bike given to her by her dad. She then fell in love with it and quickly transformed herself from a self-described party girl who was smoking up to 20 cigarettes a day to one of Ireland's best athletes. Our resident cycling expert, Jeremy Powers, Slides into the host chair for this discussion, Jeremy's a legend in the cycling space in his own right. He is a four-time cyclocross national champion in the U.S. and was one of our first guests on the Whoop podcast in 2019. Orla and Jeremy discuss how she discovered cycling and how her competitive juices started flowing even while just commuting to work, what it's like finding your sport late and how she's making the most of her career heading into her 30s putting on muscle while eating a vegan diet, the challenges women face in the cycling world, and using WHOOP in her day-to-day life and how WHOOP helped alert her that she had COVID. Without further ado, here are Jeremy and Orla Walsh.
1: All right. Hello, everybody. I'm Jeremy Powers, and I'm today joined on the Whoop podcast by the infamous Orla Walsh. Orla is a uh, professional track cyclist from Ireland, and she's raced World Cups, the European Championships, and she's currently the Irish champion record holder in the women's sprint, the women's 500-meter TT, and the women's Kiernan, among some other cool accolades. So, Orla, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me. It's still really weird listening to that. 'Cause if you'd tell me a couple of years ago that I'd be doing a podcast about my sporting career, I would have told you you're mad.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing that I think we should we should chat about is this that you've had such a unique path. You know, sometimes when you come into cyclists, they're, you know, at five years old, there's the pictures of them on the BMX track and they're going out there and you took a way different path to getting into sport. In fact, after listening to some of your interviews, you've said that you you really like even in like younger like your grade school and high school, you didn't you you really weren't that into sports. So tell us a little bit about how you found the bike.
2: Yeah, no, like in school when I tried, like I tried a lot of sports when I was younger, but I was really, I've described myself as like a bench warmer, you know? I wasn't, I was okay, but I was never never great. And so I kind of fell out of sports in my teens completely. Like I did, when I say nothing, I did absolutely nothing. I started smoking. I started, you know, hanging out with probably the the bad kids um out in the fields drinking beers and yeah I, I exercise was not part of my uh, teens at all and well into my twenties I did literally nothing um so it was only in two thousand and fifteen I had to commute in and out of work uh, I had a job in town and I had university and didn't have a car uh, couldn't afford to buy a car and I actually in Dublin like. If you were to drive, it's just an absolute nightmare with traffic in the morning anyway. So my dad, God bless my dad, um, he suggested I start cycling because he used to commute in and out on his bike. We have this bike to work scheme in Ireland where you can get like a tax reduction on a bike. So, So he had a bike and he had another secondhand bike that he wasn't using anymore. So he gave me that. And that was the beginning of my uh, professional career. (laughs) Um, That was the beginning of me falling in love with cycling. I couldn't believe how easy it was to get door to door. So it just gave me that freedom. I could get from my house to the office in like less than 20 minutes instead of queuing for a train, busy train, waiting on timetables. And so, yeah, I started commuting every day and that was it. I was like, I'm never not riding a bike again.
1: (laughs) You said a little bit about kind of this like bad girl lifestyle. You were just living like, I mean, to to touch on that a little bit after watching some documentaries and some different pieces with you, you know, you really, you were like a hardcore partier. Would you be comfortable saying that? Like you, you shredded on the weekends and and in life. And, and then it was, you know, kind of your dad being like, Hey, why don't you try to like commute into work? Obviously there was all these other compounding factors, but your ability to just kind of cut the cord on that lifestyle and then be a very high level level uh, professional athlete is like a it's not a story that you hear every day
2: i think at that point in my life i was already trying to look for an escape from that lifestyle um you know i was 25 26 at that point and i'd been doing it for years i hadn't planned on becoming a fitness freak or getting into sport at all it just kind of I think the two the two just aligned like in my mind I wanted to move away from that life and then all of a sudden I found something that I really liked and I was really enjoying it and I just when I find something that I'm passionate about I guess I get like people would describe me as like obsessive so I remember I was in work and my bosses do not like this but I was in work every day and I'd be looking up on wiggle which is like cycling buying stuff online like looking up helmets and looking up shoes and like Already just, like, so into trying to get into the cycling culture immediately. And I just thought it was really cool. So, you know, I wanted to look like the cyclists on the road as well. Um, And then immediately, I just put that party girl um, identity, I guess, behind me. And, like, my new identity was, like, I'm a cyclist now. Like, that was it. I was, like, I'm a cyclist.
1: So what are the things that you find when you're riding? Like, the endorphins that you might get from going out and like dancing with your friends and feeling the energy of the crowd and the extrovertedness. That is something that in cycling, I definitely connect with is the ability to get kitted up, have some caffeine or, or coffee or whatever, and kind of just start chatting. And then once you start riding, you know, all of this blood is going in your brain and you're like, got all these great thoughts and you're riding. Is that kind of the sense that you felt like, oh man, this is, this is almost better than like going out and and looking for this like this way to, of of kind of chatting and having a good time. It's like this is actually even better and I I really find this to be like obviously a lot healthier but also like maybe even more satisfying.
2: Absolutely. Everyone's always searching for like connection and like to be a part of a community and a group and I think my party lifestyle so like yes, I hung around with all the people who did the same things but I feel like when there's a lot of like booze and other substances involved, like you don't ever, you're not making real connections with anybody really. Um, it's all muted by the substances. So with cycling, you know, I'm meeting people who have a, a similar passion and there, there's real connection there with people <laughs> in a healthy environment. And, you know, we're out there chatting, we're out there in beautiful scenery, climbing mountains, going to coffee shops. Like I love, I loved all of that. And of course, Something that kept bringing me back was was the competitive side of me as well. I won't lie about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're definitely going to get into that. So yeah, tell us a little bit about what it was like to kind of go from a commuting cyclist, where your dad had helped you get uh, get going, and and you know you had had kind of dropped this uh, this other lifestyle. You kind of started to commute, but then kind of to get to the national stage, what that felt like for you, or how you how you got to that place.
2: I realized how competitive I was, even just in the commuting side of things. <laughs> And like I'd be cycling in and out of work, but like if if someone passed me, I yeah you know, I wasn't having it. <laughs> you know, it would become a race. It would become a race. Me and some random guy just racing into town, and my dad would do the same thing. So he would he would cycle home with me, uh, in the beginning, and I I always I tell the story before, but there's a hill just when you get out of town coming into the Phoenix Park. And he used to just like sprint up this hill. And at the beginning I would get dropped and I hated that so much. So every day I was like, he's not going to let him beat me up this hill this time. And then eventually over time I started beating him and dropping him. So there was something about seeing myself getting stronger and faster. I just wanted more of that. And after about I say I was commuting for about a year before uh, again, my dad was saying, why don't you join a cycling club? And we did a bit of research and Orwell Wheelers, which is actually on the other side of Dublin from where I live. But went and joined that club because it had a high number of female members. So not that I I wasn't planning on getting into racing or anything at that point. I just felt like wouldn't it be nice to have more women? Because I, I hadn't cycled really with any women at that point, women who were interested in biking. And so I j- did my first spin, I remember it was March 2016, and nearly immediately um, one of the women was like, oh, you should try, you should try racing. And I you was know, like, racing? Like, I'd never seen women racing bikes. When would I have seen, right? I've seen the Tour de France, that was about all I knew about women competing in, in cycling. And so I, it was about a month later that I did my first road race. And it's kind of a funny story because I I, ha- I had I no clue I was like completely naive to the whole thing. So you're obviously if you if you show up to a race you're supposed to show up like an hour before to warm up, sign on, get your numbers. I showed up five minutes before the start of the race. <laughs> it's like well, it starts at one, so you know I'll show up at five to one, be grand. Um, it's very
1: professional, very. I pro had no you,
2: idea. But... I showed up anyway, and. The commissar or whoever, who's running running the event felt sorry for me, I think. So I was like, oh, it's my first race. Oh, He just let me go. I didn't have a number and I hadn't signed on. That's probably against lots of rules. Um, but anyway, off I went. And because it was 40 kilometres, which is quite short, 40 kilometer completely flat. I ended up, we, we were getting to the end and I could see the finish line. And um, I'll, I'll honestly never forget this because it was my first race and it was my first result. Saw the line and I started sprinting and I realized I was like I was passing I was passing people out that like in my eyes were like big professionals. Um now probably a lot of these women were just local, you know, local club riders as well, but I thought they were like prop the real deal. And I came third <laughs> in the sprint. So after that I was like, that's it, lads. I found my calling. and I'm that but I I got a bit too excited too soon because the next race I went to had a hill (laughs) and I was immediately dropped so I started doing a bunch of road race and then that year I got dropped in nearly every race like consistently because I wasn't training I was just commuting then showing up for races at the weekend and getting dropped shockingly (laughs) And so then that winter I um, decided, okay, I'm going to gonna get a coach and I'm going to come back next year and I'm going to not get dropped. Like that was my only goal was just not get dropped. So I used to go out in the winter. This is silly when I look back. I used to go out in the winter. This is Dublin in the middle of like 7pm at night. I used to go up the Wicklow Hills, like sub-zero um, with these two guys that were also in my club <laughs> for like three hours that was so stupid but that's the only time because I was working so it was the only time I could train <laughs> and so then the next year I wasn't getting dropped I was lasting a bit longer a bit longer a bit longer um, and I started getting some podiums in the bigger races on the road that year which coincided with the uh, national program it was doing the talent transfer so I applied for that because someone told me I should apply for it didn't think I was going to get selected but I think they tested 100 women from different sports I got got selected for retest and then I got selected for a a a national camp that year um eight riders were selected and then by the end of that year I raced my first world cup
1: (laughs) that's amazing isn't it Let's change from the the how you got into it and this and that to kind of where you are now. Because one of the things that we know about you is that you have adopted a vegan lifestyle. So you're a vegan, and also you're doing like a ton of off the bike work as well. So you know you've really gone and, and made a huge change in kind of your day to day, and you've also evolved. And from everything that we've we've kind of talked about is that you've been able to really kind of change how you eat and in the way that you obviously time management as well so tell us a little bit about your routines and, and kind of how you came to being a vegan and then of course how your strength in, in your work on the gym and maybe a little bit of what your day-to-day looks like when you go and work out on the track and then how things look
2: so i started in endurance obviously as i described i was road and then i, I was brought into the the team pursuit which is an endurance event on the track um in 2019, I decided I wanted to give sprinting a go, um, which is a completely different discipline and will require it requires me to be much stronger. So I spend I'd say half, like nearly half of our training will be in the gym. Um, so at the moment we would I have two gym sessions a week. Sometimes it like over the winter months it had been three gym sessions a week. Um and we got three track sessions and very minimal road. So Today, for example, I only had to do 90 minutes flat, easy. That, that, that's my endurance for the week. <laughs> Whereas previously, that would have been a recovery day for an endurance rider. I think I was about five or six kilos lighter as an endurance rider. Just the amount of volume that we did on the road, just burning calories, burning calories. Um, so as a sprinter, just to be more solid and be more powerful, I had to gain muscle. And that actually nearly coincided with when I switched to a vegan diet as well, <laughs> so to all the naysayers, I have put on like six... Uh, actually at one point I was like eight kilos heavier, I'm a bit lighter now, but that was all done on a vegan diet um and I'm still uh I'm still lean as in low body fat percentage, but so I've gained muscle um, and yeah the vegan the vegan thing. I wanted to be vegan for ethical reasons. Um for when did you
1: when did you make the switch to being a vegan? What year or when? So it was
2: mid it was mid twenty nineteen. Okay. Um so I was still endurance when I switched and everyone was telling me you can't do it <laughs> um, and I was like do you don't tell me what to do? <laughs> so I um, I ended up do you know have you watched the game changers?
1: Have you seen uh, that
2: documentary?
1: I, I can't say that I have.
2: Okay, well, it's about vegan athletes, basically. So I I watched this documentary. I reached out to them because I wanted to be vegan, but I didn't know how to do it. So I asked, listen, do you have any contacts for a nutritionist? I speak to someone and I, I ended up having a consultation with a sports nutritionist who specializes in vegan athletes. So I felt confident then that I had the basic understanding of what I needed to do to stay you know on top of my nutrition say on top of my protein and supplements or whatever I might need um and I never looked back that was it now it's, it took me a while to kind of you know you're I'm changing what I've done for 30 years every everything I've known about nutrition and eating and my favorite meals that all went out the window but I did it like overnight that was it. the easiest approach I found was taking what I already did so say if I don't know say a a lasagna was one of my favorite meals. I just would veganize it, so every meal that I was used to, I would just make it vegan, um, and that seemed to work fine in the transitional period. And now, obviously, I've I've gone way down the the vegan rabbit hole where I'm eating like tempeh and tofu, and you know I wouldn't have eaten those things before. So yeah, it's been it's been fine. I have no issues. My bloods are all great. I i'm not protein deficient bloods bloods are all perfect they're still to be honest they're, they're pretty much nearly the same the only thing that's changed was um my um cholesterol because there's no cholesterol you only get cholesterol in animal products so my cholest- my bad cholesterol went down dramatically actually because it was actually on the cusp of being unhealthy even though i was 11 percent body fat and then I, I, you know Training all the time, I still had high cholesterol. So I think I I would have eaten probably a lot of dairy, and not so much a lot of meat, but definitely most of my meals had animal products in them. So I was getting a lot of cholesterol. So that went down, and that's basically it. Everything else has been like pretty much the same. So
1: that's amazing. Well, well, actually, so walk us through a couple of your like favorite meals that you like. I think people would love to know. Like, not you don't have to go super deep, but maybe like what you have for a breakfast and and kind of what your favorite go-tos are like after a hard workout you know someone might say like i could never ride five hours and then be a vegan i
2: think people think that i'm just eating salad like well no okay aren't you be starving i don't even like salads like no (laughs) (laughs) i am like like a perfect go-to that like would really fill me up would be like like a burrito like everyone loves burritos so rice in a wrap with beans with with tofu or tempeh whatever you want and then you know uh, all the vegetables in there as well like you can get really hearty delicious filling nutritional meals and you don't like i if i was hungry i i wouldn't be in a good mood okay so <laughs>
1: ha- hangry you'd be very hungry.
2: <laughs> i would be hungry, and like for breakfast uh, my, my breakfast didn't change so much because i used to always eat oats uh, oatmeal uh, in the morning anyway so it's i still have that i just make it with oat milk or soy milk whatever I want um, nuts fruit seeds whatever toppings I feel like that day and I usually have a protein shake as well I have pea protein which again people are like oh you don't get all the amino acids um but peas have the full amino acid range everyone calm down <laughs> so I guess with a vegan diet it's it's not that you're not getting the, the full amino acid range it's just, it, you need to eat a big variety of different foods throughout the day. And I eat a lot of calories. Like I'm eating high carb. Like I eat four to five times a day. And yeah, that's,
1: that seems to do the job. You're from Ireland, but you've actually gone to Majorca, which is a little island that's crazy about cycling. And you've made that kind of like your second home away from home because Ireland doesn't actually have an indoor track. Uh, but right now you're in Switzerland. Tell us about that. Tell us about what you're, how you have to move and shake because you're, you kind of, you live out of a bag. You know, you, you're always just like kind of putting a label on a box, sending it to the next place that you're going to go to be able to train, to be able to live and and, and chase this dream.
2: Yeah. So I guess uh, Cycling Ireland, generally, um, for their endurance program, they had a base set up in Majorca. Um, so because Ireland doesn't have the facilities at home, we we don't. We have an outdoor track, but. If it rains, you can't ride on it. And if you've ever been to Ireland, <laughs> you'd know that it rains there quite a lot. Um, so and it's also like it's not it's not an Olympic standard velodrome. It's it's 450 metres long instead of 250. And there's like barely any banking. So it's just not ideal. Um, so they set up a, um, a camp over in Spain and we'd use the velodrome in Palma. And. It, unfortunately for me it, there's no sprint program so whilst well, they have a, a really good endurance program for track they don't have um they don't have a coach or a program for sprint uh so for me to want to pursue this I mean I'm really grateful that I was able to get an invite from the head coach here I don't know who put in a good word for me but <laughs> they were like this girl's trying to do sprint." I'm um, and then, so my federation would have had to approve the invite and saying, yeah, we would like to support Orla going over to the centre. Um, so the World Cycling Centre is basically here in Switzerland and it supports athletes from all over the world. So there's, we've got an athlete from Suriname, we've got Trinidad and Tobago, we've got um, an Italian sprinter, Guatemalan sprinter. So uh, they're athletes that, that don't have the same they don't have a feder. They either have a broken federation or they don't have a support system in their respective countries. So we've all come to- joined together here as a team, and we train together um, under the guidance of, of a high performance coach here, um, and we get everything provided to us. And it's just yeah, so it's a, a high performance environment that I wouldn't get anywhere else.
1: Do you think you're growing from being this is? I believe is this at the UCI? Is this at the? Is this at their HQ? Is this where this is?
2: you Yes, the UCI Center. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. the
1: UCI, for anyone that doesn't know, is the is the International Cycling Federation. They are kind of the governing body of all things cycling globally, and all of the countries' federations um, are members. You know of the of the Union Cyclists International, the UCI, and basically it's just the union, the cyclist union, or the the cycling federation union that brings everyone together. And there's a track program there that uh, you're you're clearly in and that. Do you think, I mean, I've heard just such phenomenal things about the level of attention to detail, the coaching opportunities, the one percenters that, that you're able to unlock there. I, is this a huge opportunity for you, a huge moment in your career to be in this program and be working in this way with everyone? Yeah.
2: I mean, like, especially for me as like an older athlete to be given the opportunity to develop, is fantastic. I was here last year, but I only did a three month stint, but even within that time frame, I I did my fastest times ever, um, so I, I would like to hopefully now, I, this is still another three-month like trial period, but hopefully I'm going to be staying here for longer this year. There's no point really in me just doing three months and then going back to my own, to training on my own. I need the structure and I need the support of a team around me and a, a coach on site. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, this is the best place to get the most out of myself. I'm, I'm aware that... There's a finite period of time that I can potentially be competitive. So I'm, I'm throwing everything at it. Get the, the best coach, the best environment. Uh, and hopefully I will get the best out of myself in the next few years.
1: How many women are in the program?
2: Uh, there's just three of us here at the moment. Uh, three, yeah, Three women and four guys.
1: What's that like? I mean, women's cycling is of course the talk of the town. We've got the women's Tour de France coming now. You're one of the more visible women. <laughs> Especially on like the social media side. But definitely like track cycling, you know, there's a lot of there's a there are there are a lot of women racing. But what's it like right now, do you think, to be a, a woman in cycling?
2: It's definitely still an uphill battle for sure. Like there's good moments, bad moments, but uh, you know, for example, I went to a, an event late at the end of last year and showed up and they decided to cancel the women's event the day of because they didn't have enough riders signed up. Now, that, that's, that's in line with the rules. There's not enough riders here, if we're, so we're not going to run the event. But many events might give the women there the opportunity to race, even though they might not get UCI points for it. So there were four of us there willing to race. And we wanted to race each other and they said no, it's cancelled <laughs> so i would have like paid for myself to be there i would have you know i had to fund all of that myself and then to be told that i wasn't able to race is a bit um disheartening and you can't help but think if there if there weren't enough men they'd probably <laughs> run the event or there was events that they may not even just they won't even have a, a women's event at all they won't give you the opportunity to even you know, have enough riders to sign up. So I'm lucky in a way. That I think track cycling specifically is a lot more equal, and we we play in a level, more level playing field. I think than the road. I know girls on road teams who, I think, only was it this year that they've introduced a minimum wage. Whereas before, prior to that, they'd they'd be racing World Tour races on no wage. There's definitely still a lot of work to do. <laughs> but it's getting there um positive signs maybe even in track is they've um, equaled the distance for uh, the team sprint so it used to be three men over three laps and the women only did two laps and two two women so they've they've equaled that event now so they're both three riders three laps uh, for the the team sprint in track but but there are other events that like, say, for example, the 500 meter time trial, the men don't do 500 meters, they do it a kilometer. <laughs> Like I'd like to do a kilometer. <laughs> um, I think I would be better at a kilometer than 500 meters, but it's not. It's not an option. It's like the men do a kilo and the women do 500 meters. I don't know why it's like that,
1: but they follow that long history of cycling things where the cyclocross races for women are only 45 minutes. Or now they're 50. The men race an hour. You know, yeah. The,
2: What's going to happen after 500 meters? Am I?
1: <laughs> so then I guess the the question that I would follow up with around all of that, you know, kind of like melee of, of women cycling and not, the events not being long enough and not really being equal is like I guess the question that I'd have for you is, is it's not it's not by luck that you've reached this level of success that you've like worked hard what do you think is the number one thing that you've been able to do to put yourself in a successful position because I you know people like listen to the podcasts they want to know like what are what is it that helped you get to this point and I would I'd love to know from your opinion like what are the keys that you were able to unlock for yourself to get you to be able to get to the Irish talent ID program and then to, you know, the UCI base, what, what were the things that you feel like really allowed you to get to this point?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'd have to say just all the support that I've got. Sure. People can do things to a certain point on their own. Like I have, you have to have the willingness to work, the willingness to like put yourself in a hole for training. Um, a lot of sacrifices. I am the goal and making plans as what steps do I need to do to get to that point? But, but I needed all the people around me to help me get there. <laughs> so you know, the, the first step was joining the cycling club. There were women there. There was the women's cycling commission. They encouraged me to try racing. They 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 would have organised women's training sessions and kind of low level skill workshops and it was just kind of saying yes to all of these things and and asking people for advice and asking people for help as well because I think people are always a bit they want to be independent when they're pursuing their goals but you need ask the experts ask the people in the know and you'll get to where you need to go quicker (laughs) um so you know I would have had support from the club and then I would have had support through the the national program once I, I applied for for the talent transfer and um, so they would have kind of handheld us quite a lot into the elite level competition and yeah once you kind of oh, I found my 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 feet in that world um it's just a case of of yeah having a good team of people around you I suppose and and keep keep your eye on the ball you have
1: to (laughs) you have to have like you have to always have a a bit of a mentor and someone that's kind of pushing you along and it's a teamwork makes the dream work as the saying goes right like you got to have people around no way no way it's never yeah it's never an overnight success either let's talk a little bit about your your whoop and how you came to found it because one of the really awesome things that you've been able to do is of course tell people through your social media and through all of the things that you're doing like your journey and one of the things that really i think just turned people's heads, <laughs> rolled their heads off their body was this article that you wrote for Bicycling Magazine around how you learned about COVID from from your Whoop. And um, I'd be curious to know, given like everything that we've talked about today around your lifestyle and kind of this huge transition that you've made from the beginning, the young days of Orla Walsh to now this you know national level, uh, international level track cyclist and how Whoop has been able to be a part of your world. Because it seems like from what I gather, it's not just that it also helped you like ID that you had go That was like a real nice thing, but it might be something, it might be something more for you. It might be a, a product that really helps you be able to stay honest with yourself. See, see what you're, see what you're doing day to day.
2: I mentioned that before, like I'm quite obsessive and I'm, I'm very, obviously I'm goal orientated and I like to have all the numbers of, for everything. <laughs> so like one of the first things I would have done in sighting was to buy a psychic, my bike computer and buy a heart rate monitor and, You know, track the distances I was doing and making sure everything is going in the right direction. Um, I'm pretty sure I just saw an ad for for Whoop on Instagram and I was like, I need that. (laughs) So um, the minute I saw it, I was like, yes, that's going to help. I want to do everything that I can to make myself the best athlete I can be. So whether that had been, you know, me becoming a vegan, because I thought, I still believe that it's the best and, and healthiest diet that anyone can be on performance-wise and longevity. But I'm also thinking, okay, well, that's just one part of the picture. That's my diet. Um, how do I control my sleep habits? How do I control, you know, my load how, how much I'm training, how much I'm recovering? So this is just like the perfect tool for me and my control freak ways <laughs> uh to know exactly what what's going on in my body um so yeah, as you mentioned I, it did clock that I had COVID the first time around because I I had like a bit of a cough I was like I have a bit of a cough and I was, remember I was messaging my friend Damon and, and he's like oh maybe you've got COVID and I was like nah no nah, I don't and the next day like I was planning on going into the sports campus which would have been a disaster but I opened up my Whoop that morning, and then my respiratory rate had like shot through the roof, and I was like, "That doesn't look good." <laughs> it was like way, it was way out of what the normal range was. So I went to got a test, and I was positive. But yeah, for for all the other factors like my sleep, um, I sleep for me is particularly why I love using Whoop because I just, I if I don't get enough sleep, it immediately you can see it, you can see my recovery go down. So I've learned that I I need. I need like nine hours, honestly. And most people think nine hours—that's insane. And I'm like, I need nine. I need nine hours. <laughs> so you know, it's st- stuff like that. You're learning about yourself, and then you can work your routine around what you th- what your body needs. So it's a really useful tool.
1: How do you think about your days off? It is a huge thing for cycling. Is always like, oh, how much harder can I train than the next person? Or you know, in life, we're always like, oh, if I could. You know, if, if I could just answer more questions on the gram or if I could, you know, do this next event or if I could travel to this place because someone's asking me to come in. It's really is time management and rest days. And I find, you know, when I was a, a an athlete, I would be always looking at like how little I would do and trying to use it to really limit myself. Do you find that it helps you in this way as well? Because you seem like very, you know, you're doing a lot.
2: I think people underestimate the strain that just day to day life can have. Say, for example, if I'm I'm traveling to a competition, sometimes that day strain can be higher than an actual training day. So (laughs) there's a lot of things going on in life that you need to manage. So when I if I have a rest day scheduled, it's a rest day like I I don't move (laughs) and I don't do anything taxing. And that makes a huge difference. Uh, I think people underestimate how important recovery is in being able to get the best out of yourself. You don't train. If you don't recover hard, you can't train hard. Just doesn't happen. So recovery is like a huge part of my training as well. Like I can't go full gas every day.
1: Right. I love that. Tell me, tell me about what, um, what goals you have for this upcoming season and the rest of the year. What's on the horizon?
2: One of my main goals is I'd like to get a certain time in the 200-meter time trial. Uh, I don't have the indoor record. Um, and that's that's one of my mini goals. Um, and then hopefully, and the biggest goal for this year would be to qualify for the World Championships. We still don't know if the World Championships this year is an Olympic qualifying event. Uh, they still haven't officially announced it but either way I would love to be racing there and uh, national championships of course want to go back and make sure I win again (laughs) those are my goals
1: (laughs) nothing like winning and also being the best in your country is like such a an honor yeah I can't imagine like what it feels like to be the Irish national champion
2: it's funny because like obviously before I won nationals like I won my first nationals three years ago and in the 500 and and, and each year I go back there's obviously there is a growing kind of pressure to be like well kind of have to like there's almost more pressure at nationals than there is at an international event because I'm almost expected to win you know if you're going in as the favorite there's definitely more pressure so like this year I would have been probably more nervous for nationals than I would have been at my first nationals because I was like oh god I have to win everything. (laughs) I hope I don't make a mistake.
1: <laughs> How do you deal with it? It's always so interesting the rituals um, that you have around like different events and like what you do to bring yourself down. Or like you know, you don't want the tachometer to be at ten thousand. You 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 want to just be able to can control it. It's so hard.
2: It's something that's one of the things that I struggle with most. I'd say, um, and I, I put that down to the fact that I've not been in competitive sport for very long, so I'm still trying to manage that. Um, but thankfully, I've, I'm working with a sports psychologist as well. So I've got management methods, I guess, uh, to keep me. Not, you don't want to be panic mode, but you also don't want to be completely relaxed. Um, we've tried both. Uh, <laughs> if I'm too relaxed, I also don't perform. So it needs to be somewhere in the middle. Um, and yeah, it's just kind of going in with the right mentality which I'm still trying to finesse but it's more for me it works more if I just look at everything like just another training ride an important training ride but if I use the word race too much or like need to win or I'm thinking about the outcomes too much it, it might it all goes out the window so I just need to look at the actual process and this is another training effort what do what am I what do I need to do in this effort to get the most out of myself done whatever the outcome is is the outcome but
1: process 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 <laughs> right 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 yeah that's a that's a normal feel so I guess from like you know the from the beginning to the end right from like where you were in your teens you know late teens to 20s to being a pro to now racing and like your you, you know you've said the word Olympics what is what do you think you can you can be happy with if you get from cycling fully like what is your what is your dream what do you want to be able to look back on your run through cycling and through track cycling and say hey I did this thing and I, I'm really proud of that
2: like for me at this point, I'm kind of as long as I feel like I got the most out of myself in a race scenario, and I went as fast as I've ever gone. And but it's not fast enough for the Olympics. That's fine. I'm <laughs> fine with that. I just want to get the most out of me. And so far, I feel like I haven't reached. I haven't reached my full potential yet. I know I say that as a turning thirty-three years young this year but coming into sports so late I feel like there's still years left to improve and get stronger and relatively speaking I'm still like a developing rider compared to like riders who are 10 years younger than me so and and I get inspiration from seeing other riders like there's um, other riders that women who are in their late Mariana Voss um, is winning exactly, the world championships, exactly. uh,
1: you know, uh, in, in her late 30s. So, yeah, there's, yeah, there's definitely, yeah. there's examples of this.
2: Absolutely. So there's, there's plenty, there's plenty left in me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I would be satisfied knowing that I did everything I could to get the most out of myself. and the olympics is like that's a pipe dream but like if i don't go to the olympics I'm, i will not be disappointed
1: <laughs> well orla thank you so much for taking the time for being a great ambassador to the whoop crew for uh letting us all live vicariously through all of the cool things that you're doing in your um, journey through this sport thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us
2: no worries thanks for having me it's been fun
0: Thank you to Orla for coming on the Whoop podcast. A reminder to subscribe, leave a rating or review to the Whoop podcast. We are officially out of backlog for our Whoop 4.0. Amazing to see the demand for that product. You can get 15% off a Whoop membership. You use the code Will. That's W-I-L-L. Check us out on social at Whoop, at Will Ahmed. And with that, folks, I wish you a very healthy week.